And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Aaron Dimmick, CEO and founder of the Collective Performance Initiative. Truth, being true to yourself, being true to others in thought, word, and action. Draw on Proverbs 27.6, where he says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, even if that friend is you to yourself. Because we have to be honest and true to ourselves before we can possibly be true to others. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. Well, folks, if you are new to the program here at Bottom Line Faith, this is the place where we talk with top Christian business and marketplace leaders across the country. And really, the word picture, the analogy we like to use here is imagine that we are lifting the hood and we are going to tinker around in the engine of Christian leadership. We are just so thankful that you would join us if this is the first time that you've listened to the program. Welcome. If you're a regular listener here at Bottom Line Faith, thank you for your support. And in both cases, you can check out all of the episodes of our uh, 30-minute program at bottomlinefaith.org. That's bottomlinefaith.org. You can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, all your social media platforms. Well, I am really, really excited about our guest today, and this is a friend that I've gotten to know over the last couple months, and every once in a while you meet somebody in your life and you go, wow, it'd be cool to be that person, and this is uh, how I feel about our guest today, and our guest today is uh, Aaron Demick, and he is the founder of Collective Performance Initiative, LLC. We're going to get into the title and what that company's all about, but uh, Aaron, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Thank you so much, Ray. Humble to be here. We're going to have some fun today. And in case I don't think I've said this to you, but if you all, if you go to the website, and by now, you know, this interview, once it's posted at the website, you're going to see the picture. Uh, it's kind of like I'm interviewing Clark Kent today. This guy, <laughs> I'm really jealous. He's got perfect hair. He's about 6'4. He's got a great smile. And um, plus, he's an all American hero. Yeah, and he's, he's turning red already. <laughs> and let's get into it. Let's have some fun today. Aaron, tell us just a little bit about Collective Performance Initiative. What What is that? Why did you form it? What do you do there? Absolutely. Thank you, Ray. The impetus for entertaining the idea of going into the area and space of organizational development, my last position was at the Pentagon, and I served as the Navy representative to the senior advisor to the Secretary of Defense for military professionals. Now, would you say that one more time? time. That's awesome. <laughs> tell, me, tell me that one again. I was the Navy representative to the senior advisor to the Secretary of Defense for military professionalism. We called it SAMP for short, All because right. that's a ridiculously long title. All right. And the longer usually means the, the less important you are to the outfit, but that's okay. <laughs> that was not the case. Uh, with this. So over the over my time there, uh, had a wonderful opportunity to learn and do a deep dive into leadership and character development. With that, I figured I would take that as the lily pad to launch into post-Navy life, get my wife Kim and our kiddos off to an old new location. Yeah. So my wife grew up in Fishers and I grew up uh, down in Perry Township and wanted to see if there was a way that I could answer, continue answering my call to serve uh, beyond post-Navy life by helping others. So that was the impetus behind founding 
the Collective Performance Initiative. Fantastic, and we're going to we're going to dive deeper into some of the things that you uh, help organizations do, what you've studied, and, and so forth. But you you mentioned naval service, so you graduated from the Naval Academy. Was it in two thousand and that was uh, ninety six? Ninety six. That's right. Yep. It was the Naval War College in two thousand and seven. That's correct. Tell us the difference between the Naval Academy and the Naval War College. Naval Academy is for high school graduates, and it's an undergraduate degree program. Uh, That's the biggest difference between that and the War College, aside from grooming folks for a career in Naval service upon graduation from the Naval Academy. The Naval War College was brought about by Admiral Alfred Thayer Mahan to look into naval strategy and the complement that the naval forces could be to patrolling the commons, which are all the waterways around the globe, to make them safe and secure for trade, as well as safety and security for the nations. So that's more of a professional program for officers in the naval service and other services, uh, foreign, foreign services as well. And that's the biggest contrast between the Naval War College itself and the Naval Academy. Okay, very, very, very fascinating. And tell us just briefly, uh, what was your role? You're a pilot, P3s? That's correct. T- tell us about that and maybe, maybe an interesting story or so. Sure. So I'll very quickly cover two anecdotes, but P3s, the primary mission of the P3 is anti-submarine warfare, open ocean surveillance to attempt to find enemy submarines and protect the strike group. Uh, aircraft carriers and other naval vessels for both ourselves and our partner nations around the globe. My first operational flight was with weapons on the wings in April of 1999 when Bosnia and Kosovo were having some issues with Slobodan Milosevic. That had nothing to do with open ocean surveillance, but everything to do with providing support for our ground forces and uh, attempting to address the concerns and issues um, over there at that time. And then fast forward a couple of years uh, on 9-11, uh, that evening, uh, my the crew I was on had the opportunity to fly over Ground Zero to provide surveillance for that area and help the efforts there, as well as patrolling up and down the Northeast Coast, because at that point, obviously, no one knew exactly what was going to happen next. That sounds to me like it had to be just a surreal experience as you're flying over, getting that surveillance and seeing what's just happened in our country. What, what was that like? It was very surreal. That is the absolutely appropriate word to use. We had, up, I had up until that point, operationally, of course, been overseas yeah. to help in other capacities, but this one was on our own soil. Uh, so that was the starkest contrast. And then for us in the aviation world, especially over the United States, tons of air traffic. So radio calls among fellow pilots with air traffic control center, always something going on on the radio. That night, there was nothing. It was just coordination among the different uh, armed services and National Guard uh, units that were taking part across the country to provide for safety and security of the nation. But it was very quiet, very calm and surreal, again, is the most appropriate word for it. Sometimes it's easy to forget, rather, that uh, all air traffic was shut off. That's correct. I mean, the, the skies were empty, right, except for 
guys like you protecting us. That's correct, except for the military support. That's yeah. right. For those next few days, yeah. everything yeah. is shut down. Well, thank you for your service to our country. And I, you know, I, an honor to did do you always it. want to be a pilot? Did you always know that that's what you wanted to do? I think in, in my heart of hearts, from a tactical standpoint, when I arrived at the academy, I thought that that was something that I would like to do. Right. But uh, n- more a call to serve on the altruistic side than specifically in what's, what capacity I would serve. So I took advantage of my time at the Naval Academy to do everything but naval aviation uh, and get exposed to that during the training summers. So I did some training uh, with the new folks coming in a couple of summers into the Academy, spent some time with the Marine Corps, did a uh, cruise on a submarine. So I pretty much did everything but naval aviation and then ended up going naval aviation. Okay, very <laughs> very good. And when I said in the opening comments, you know, a guy that I'd like to be, I, I don't think there's a guy listening to our program right now that... Uh, wouldn't they it'd be cool to be a Navy pilot? Is it all that it's cracked up to be? It really is. And <laughs> I, it knew really it. is. I knew it. I knew it. All right. Well, folks, we're, we're speaking with Aaron Demick. He is the founder of Collective Performance Initiative. And in just a moment, we're going to get into the heart of really what Aaron is passionate about from a professional standpoint. But Aaron, just a moment. Tell us what you're really passionate about on the personal side. Tell us just a little bit about your family. Yes. So blessed to be married to my soulmate, who said yes at the circle downtown, actually, by the monument, downtown Indianapolis, many, many years ago. And uh, my wife, Kim, and I were coming up on 21 years of marriage on Flag Day, June 14th. And just blessed by that union, we were set up on a blind date, uh, and the rest was history. And now we are blessed with the presence of four kiddos in our lives, Camden, Kinsey, Amelia, and Peyton. And their ages are? 18, 17, 12, and 9. Oh, boy. Yeah, so a full house, plenty going on. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Well, all right. That's awesome. That's great to just get a little bit of your background, a little bit of uh, even your career in service. And so you're really passionate in this area of leadership, and that's really the focus of our program here at Bottom Line Faith. As I said, we want to really tinker around and learn more about leadership here. And so how would you define leadership? That's a wonderful question. Many definitions obviously have and can be used, but I think the, for me, a definition of leadership that's functional in my life is the willingness and ability to serve others. So it really is about servant leadership. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, in your own career, some of the lessons you've learned about leadership and some of the mistakes you've made. So as you kind of look back over the course of your own career to this point, what, what would you say is the, the biggest mistake you've made? And what'd you learn from it? Uh, another wonderful question. The biggest mistake I made probably was not being true enough to myself to be uh, humble enough at times to admit when I've been wrong. Okay. Um, and and realizing that there, while there are definite failures there, embracing those as learning opportunities is the way to move forward. So there are, there are certain things in my past decisions that I've made, uh, perhaps behaviors and acts that I've carried out that I'm certainly not proud of. Um, but I failed at the time in the moment to reflect on them and actually acknowledge and embrace them to be able to learn from them. So th- there, there are certainly lost opportunities in my past that uh, now, fast forward, I, I take that time. I take those pauses, and if I can, I think of it ahead of time so I prevent myself from, from making those, those poor decisions and uh, taking poor actions 
in preventing that. So on this topic, you know, lesson learned, mistakes made, that sort of thing, just around admitting when we're wrong. You know, many of our listeners here at Bottom Line Faith, they're business owners, they're CEOs, they're running companies, they're running organizations. And yeah, if, if we make mistakes in those capacities that cost our company money, it might cost a few jobs potentially. And those are, those are obviously important things. But where, in, your, in your world, you make a wrong decision, lives are at stake. Very much um, so. uh, the consequences are incredible. So in, in the culture that you were a part of in, in, in the Naval Service, what was it like? Were, were you, uh, you know, encouraged to admit when you were wrong, or was it, boy, you got a CYA cover yourself? What was that? What was it like for you? It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful ask of a question. Sometimes the structure actually serves as an impediment yeah. to being able to, to come clean, if you will. Uh, so there are direct and indirect incentives, unfortunately, to not admit your mistakes because there is a portion there that folks think that the risk involved. Uh, is is too great to admit that. But I will tell you most of the time, and I love the P3 community from the standpoint that I got to fly with 11 to 18, 19 additional crew members. So there was naturally a team air to everything that we did. And we would pay and see it up front and personal, up close and personal, while it may not have been in cost of lives or resources necessarily. There's an air, an aura about a team that when you let the team down or somebody else lets the team down, it's dysfunctional. Yeah. And so we realize that if we can stay ahead of that, get ahead of it and stay ahead of it and be open with each other, honest with each other, just say it so that we can all address it together as a team and then move forward in a positive way rather than trying to make up ground because of the dysfunction. I understand. And, and we're going to talk about this environment and culture of transparency and being open and honest in, in just a moment. What would you say would be how, ways that you tried to live out your faith or your spiritual foundation in your work in the Naval Service? What did that look like for you? So one manner uh, that kind of manifests itself a couple of times was being able to be in a position when we would go deploy or detachment sites that were far away and there weren't options for being able to attend service, doing Bible studies and getting together and talking about our faith, uh, because you can do that anywhere. And was that fairly common or was it hard to find those like-minded individuals? Every organization, unit, command that I was with, there was always a group that okay. just whoever you may be inclined to affiliate or associate with, those opportunities were always available. Um, so yeah, there, there were moments and opportunities actually to cohese perhaps a little deeper and differently than we would have had that opportunity not existed. Yeah. And then certainly different places that we would go uh, where there were the facilities, there were the churches, there were the areas to conglomerate uh, and have that sense of communion and belongingness uh, that now naturally lend themselves to those type of experiences. So that's one. And then the other is just modeling the way. How is it that you live your life? How is it that other folks are living their lives and everyone's away from their family and friends? And hopefully there's consistency there. There's authenticity to where folks are the same away as they are at home. And as you said, like-minded folks, like-behaving folks mm -hmm. that you associate with them and you reinforce each other's behavior, which can be very positive. Yeah. So was it ever a struggle for you to apply your faith, meaning you're on a mission, for example, and you've, you've been given just countless hours of training, right? The Bible says it's very dangerous for us to just lean on our own strength and our own skills and our, you know, that we are to trust God. 
So did you ever have that struggle? Like, okay, I've had all this training, so I'm just going to rely on my own strength and my own skills. But God, I know I can't do this without you. Did you have those conversations in your head? You know, I, fortunately, I would say I really didn't. Okay. I, and perhaps it was because it, it, I had such a powerful experience with upbringing and childhood that that never really was a factor. But I could see that in others. Yes. I could see that challenge in others where there is that tension. Uh, and then the, the, the challenge for you as an individual is, all right, how can I help this person out? and resolve that and maybe not fully resolve that issue for them, but at least give them some breadcrumbs, you know, something to be able to give them hope and reconcile that. Because yes, we are to provide for the national security and support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. We are acting agents in a very kinetic, convective environment. Uh, and, and you're going to be faced with things that don't set well with you. So if there's anything to be gained in those moments, it's folks that kind of surface themselves in their beliefs and share that with others so that they can not just persevere and and make their way through it, but thrive in that type of environment where you know that that your purpose is coming out through those actions in service of others, because there are certain things in our world, unfortunately, that have to be addressed in certain ways. Very fascinating. Aaron, I'd really like to transition our conversation now to a topic that you and I have talked a lot about (laughs) offline leading up to this interview, and I know something you're very passionate about, and that's this whole topic and issue of candor. Yes. Tell us, what does that mean? And then we're going to talk about its application in leadership. For me, I actually boil candor down to three specific elements. There's an element of character, there's an element of competence, and then there's an element of courage. On the character side, it's truth, being true to yourself, being true to others in thought, word, and action. On the competent side, you have to have a degree of knowledge and understanding in order to impart whatever it is that you're trying to be candid about. And then the courage component, I think for most of us, is is most critical and most challenging. Because as Mary Gentile says in, in Giving Voice to Values, most of the time we actually know what the right action is. The challenge comes in actually acting on that, giving voice to that. It takes courage. It takes fortitude. Uh, So those three components, for me, operationalize that concept of candor to be able to come forth being consistent in thought, word, and deed. Yeah. So as I said earlier, you know, we've got business owners, presidents, key leaders that are a big part of our audience. And and I would imagine right now that uh, at least one of our listeners is, is struggling with something, that maybe there's a a situation with an employee in their organization, someone that they that reports to them. Maybe there's a situation at home that there's some dysfunctionality going on, or maybe there's just some unresolved conflict, and it oftentimes gets down to the lack of candor, does it not? It does. What's the consequence if we're not willing to be candid in these relationships? What happens? Yeah, I think most of the time we lose out on an opportunity to care for each other, and challenge each other directly. Bring to light that real issue that's under the surface so that both you and I can become better for it. Uh, but what, what happens process. if I hurt your feelings? You know, that for, for folks that take offense to certain things, uh, there's a portion of you that, that can say, hey, let's get over this. Uh-huh. But the other is being sensitive to the fact that folks may respond in that way. But the altruistic side is, I care enough for you to be able to bring light to this issue. 
So it's not an affront to you personally. It's not an attack on you as an individual. Let's talk about, have some serious, meaningful conversations about the issue of concern so that we can both figure out the way to work through it. And is it your experience that um, do most people have this ability to do this or willingness to do it, or do most people back away from it? Most people back away from it. It's our natural human inclination biologically uh, to fend for ourselves, fight for ourselves. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll spare uh, <laughs> the listening audience the the way back when details of uh, early humans, but there is a biologist and naturalist by the name of Edward O. Wilson that I think captures it very well because he looks at both the individual level and the group level. At the individual level, competition and me looking out for my self-interests, I best you as an individual. But a group of individuals that think that way consume themselves and do not survive. The group of individuals when you have the altruistic motive to provide for the group, serve the group, even out of self-interest, there's a portion of that there, but contributing to the group is where human progress is found. So that tension between the individual and the group, is, it's in our DNA. So it's not our natural inclination to reach out to the other, but that's where the special ingredient is. Love one another as you would love yourself. Those are the elements, the how, to work with people and our humanness, our humanity, is actually the key to resolving these type issues. It's very fascinating. I mean, I'm thinking like even in the context of a marriage, you know, if that if I'm feeling unhappy in my marriage or unfulfilled in my relationship with my wife, it seems like as I'm listening to you, part of that's I've got to own that because perhaps I've not communicated with candor, hey, hon, here's what I need out of this relationship or here's what I am not feel like I'm getting. And I'm not setting those proper expectations. Where, where does what what role does that play in candor? Just setting proper expectations. Absolutely, yeah. The, the, that's it's a perfect example uh, of where this hits all of us at the individual level in our day to day lives. And I would draw everyone to um, an idea, a concept by John Stuart Mill, actually, where he mentions that we're all corrigible beings. We're malleable. We can change. We have the capacity, cognitive capacity, to think about and realize changes in behavior. If that's the going in moral obligation argument, then think further about how am I caring for both you and me. So candor is actually an expression of caring. And Kim Scott talks about this um, most recently in the release of her book, Radical Candor, where she actually defines her concept by the extent to which you care personally and challenge to, are willing to challenge each other directly. So if there's that relationship, that trust that you've built, there really shouldn't be any opportunity for an individual to take offense because they see what you're doing, what you are doing yeah. as a moral obligation to help them out. So you're challenging them and the issue, not on them as a person because you're caring for them incredibly from the relationship standpoint, but you dig into it deeply by challenging the issue, bringing it to light. Okay, so I've got a chicken-egg question for you. Ah. Okay, <laughs> Which comes first, the candor or the trust? Does it take candor to build trust, because I know this person's being straightforward with me, or does it take trust so that I can then uh, address candor? Which, which comes first? Another wonderful question. My personal conception is that candor comes first. 
from the standpoint that there are antecedents or predecessors to trust. I can show you that I care personally for you by showing you a smile, putting out my hand to shake your hand and not know you from anybody, but I still care for you foundationally as a fellow human being. Got it. From there, I can then bring up certain issues that I may know about you and you may know about me and unearth them so that we start the dialogue. And from there, we begin to establish a foundation for trust through trustworthiness. Then we build on our relationships and start forming as a team and get meaning from that belongingness and then start to perform as a team in a unit, whether that's a husband-wife combination, the family unit at work, it's, it's transferable to any of those environments. So getting back to what you said earlier about you know when you're in the service, admitting when you're wrong, did you see this play out in negative ways or positive ways in your in your years in the Navy? Absolutely both. Yeah. The negative side is when it doesn't come to light and things fester. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, for some folks, relationships are irreparable. The other is if you can get past that ledge, uh, if, you're, if you use the analogy of repelling off a ledge, the hardest part is taking that first step mm-hmm. to back and then be at the, the whim of, of your uh, carabiner and your line to keep you safe. Take that first step. And then from there, it can be exhilarating. So you have to work through some of that anxiety, skepticism, and, and pain in some instances to be able to get shed light on it, air it, and then start to have productive dialogue. And on the most positive side, it's exhilarating. You know the truth, you both agree on it, and you're able to work towards solving those type issues. So I have to admit, you sound extraordinarily equipped to talk about this topic. <laughs> well, thank and, you. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And uh, is this what you're studying now in your doctoral? Tell us about that. And then I just got, oh, my gosh, we're almost out of time. But tell us a little bit about that. And I got one big question. For you. Absolutely, for sure. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm through my coursework, and I'm working on my dissertation which is titled The Dance of Human Affairs, How Candor Shapes Organizational Performance. So these daily interactions we have at an individual level with the people we come in most frequent contact with, if you can nudge forward to help those conversations out just a little bit by focusing on your and their character, your and their competence, and your and their courage, you start to unfold a space that's safe to have these debates and grow together. Uh, So that's really what I'm focusing on. Help me help you. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, it's actually the ability and willingness to help others while becoming a better human being yourself. Oh, that's that is just really, really terrific insight there. And I I talked to you before we we started uh, on the interview, Eric, that I have one question that I love to ask every guest here at Bottom Line Faith. And this is our last question. And maybe we can have you back for episode number two, because uh, I think we're just scratching the surface here together. That would be wonderful. But in Proverbs 4.23, uh, Solomon writes that above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. And, and, and Aaron, there are, and for our regular listeners, you know, I always take a moment to explain this a little bit, that there are some biblical scholars who believe that those may have been among Solomon's last words. You know, he wrote a bunch of Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, uh, this wisest man ever to, to lived, and he's given us all these truths and all these principles. And so if we could imagine that if these were among his last words, it's kind of like he might have um, gathered his family, his friends, and his loved ones. And he said, look, I've given you all this wisdom. I've given you everything I've learned in life. But now here's the one thing. Above all else, guard your heart. For from it flows everything in your life. So Aaron, 
if 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 we could fast forward the clock and and it's near your the end of your time here on earth and you get a chance to gather your family, your friends and your loved ones and and you get to say now everybody above all else what would you advise above all else I would uh, draw on proverbs again uh 27:6 where he says faithful are the wounds of a friend even if that friend is you to yourself because we have to be honest and true to ourselves before we can possibly be true to other people I think that's summed up extraordinarily well. So for those of you who've been listening to the program, I'm sure there's one or more of you out there that uh, that you're wrestling right now with a, a relationship, a key employee, something in your family that you know there's something that needs to be said to bring candor to the table. And, and maybe you feel like you don't have the character, the competence, or the courage, but Aaron has walked us through that. I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you and strengthen you have the courage to offer up the candor. Would you agree with that, Aaron? Wholeheartedly. Absolutely, Ray. Would you come back and visit us again? Uh, it would be my pleasure to do so. Thank you. Folks, it has been an honor having my friend and now your friend, Aaron Demick, on our program today. And this was a great time that we've had here at Bottom Line Faith. Folks, check us out on the web at bottomlinefaith.org. Uh, check us out on uh, Twitter and Facebook. And if you are a business owner, a Christ follower, and you're looking for community, a way to build your business on proven biblical principles and practice, check out the other website at truthatwork.org. Truth at Work is the sponsoring ministry here at Bottom Line Faith. We would love to have a conversation with you and help you build your company on proven biblical principles. Well, folks, until next time, this is your host, Ray Hilbert, saying thanks for listening in at Bottom Line Faith. God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Stitcher, Google Play, and iTunes.